So let's start with some review uh, from last week. Uh, what are the three main responsibilities of any good Bible study? The three things that we have to do right off the bat, uh, three parts of inductive study, whatever you want to call this. Observe, interpret, and apply. Okay, Observation, interpretation, application. And our temptation is usually to uh, rush ahead and, and you know, apply for, right off the bat or to interpret and not ever get to apply. or you know, what, we, we often pick and choose between those two, but observe, interpret, apply. And if you look at the review section, you have that diagram that we had in the, in the notes last week. Um, that's the O, the I, and the A. Observe, interpret, apply, or observation, interpretation, application, however you want to write it. And, uh, and we said that, that really we can think about that in terms of three lenses, looking at the text in, through three different lenses, like that, the doctor's office, the eye doctor's office, where they uh, drop the little flippy lens thing in front of your eyes. Um, still never figured out what that thing's called. Um, and uh, so um, three lenses, do you remember what the three lenses are? Them, Jesus, us. Okay, so in observation, we're primarily looking at them, and uh, you know, looking at the way that it was written, the way that it was put together. Um, in interpretation, we're kind of closing out that first lens. We're gonna we're gonna summarize what did this text mean to them. Okay, then we're gonna move to Jesus, and how did G- we're gonna look at lens two? How did Jesus fulfill this passage? And and there was a whole bunch of questions and. Um, you know, different things that we can ask about the text to, to help us to see that. Uh, and then uh, we're going to move in, applica- in application to lens three, uh, what does this mean for us? And um, we, we had four questions there. Who is God? Uh, what is he done? Who am I? What must I do? And, um, and even under that, there were some more questions that we can ask if we want to. So uh, we want to keep in mind those, those big three uh, responsibilities or, or practices and then the three lenses. Um, and, and we're going to be really talking about that a lot. And that, that really relates to method. Uh, what, it, what method uh, are we employing when we are studying the Bible? We said that method comes out of what we believe to be true about the Bible. Um, the, the reason that we apply that method is because we believe that God revealed himself in real time and space through human authors, that every word counts, and so we apply a certain method because of what we believe about the Bible. Um, but want to keep hammering down on this. Is method tr- enough for truly effective Bible reading? Is method enough? Like if I just get the right method, is that good enough? You're shaking your heads no. So elaborate. Why? Okay, so knowledge isn't enough, so we, we actually have to put it in, in, into context and we have to apply it, absolutely. Even if we saw something in the text and we applied it, is that enough? Like we did it, we saw it and we did it, we knew it and we did it, is that enough? No, why? Okay, so there is going to be a sense in which um, we have to keep coming back to the Bible, and there's going to be more and more application. Natalie, you're. Okay. Yep. Yep. So you got to keep keep drilling it down in. Yeah. 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 Yes, yes. And 
and that, that is so, so important. So all of the things that you guys said are important. We need to not just know, but apply. We, we need to revisit and revisit and revisit and because it's going to keep coming up again and again and again. But there, there is a spiritual nature to the Word of God, a supernatural word, nature to the Word of God that we miss if we think not, uh, method is the end game. If we just employ the right method, then it's going to do its work and that's it. No, no, no. The, sp- the same Spirit who inspired the words is the same Spirit who is with us causing us to apply the words. The same Spirit who was with them is the same Spirit who anointed Jesus is the same Spirit who indwells us. And that's the beauty of it, that, that it's not just about applying uh, a correct method like this is the scientific method, right? And, and you have chemistry class, right, youth? And, and you're, you, you, you have to apply the scientific method. You have to make your hypothesis. If you miss a, if you miss a step, Charlie, in the, in the scientific method, you're going to dock them points, right? Um, and, uh, and so, this, you know, applying this as a scientific method of reading the Bible is, is not the goal, and it's not sufficient, because our goal is to relate to God. Our goal is to allow God to speak, and to listen to His voice. And so we have to remind ourselves, because, because it's such a temptation to just apply the method and to just get the, get the facts and to just give me, give, me the, you know, give me the bottom line. I want to get my information. I want to get out. That's not the point. The point is, did I spend time with the Lord? And I use the right method because of what I believe about His Word. There's so many ways we can get the card out of the Right, and that's actually that's actually why we're saying this is you know like like in order to say I just need to be in God's word. Well, I, why? Why do I need to be in God's word? Well, not so that I get the right method, although the right method is important, but because this is where God has chosen to reveal Himself, and this is how God speaks today. And if we don't if we don't believe that God normally speaks through visions in the clouds, <laughs> and we believe that He does speak through His word then, man, I, like, let me lean in. Let me dig into that. And then once I get into that and I'm utterly overwhelmed, then I'm like, okay, now I need some right method. <laughs> but, but, but our eagerness for this, our eagerness has to come from the fact that I want to relate to God because He's the one who saved me. He's the one who's called me out of darkness. He's the one who, if I reject His commands, it's utterly destructive like we just saw in the sermon, right? And so, you know, teens, like, this is going to sound like English class a lot of, a lot of the way, right? <laughs> I like that smile. Yes, it is going to sound like English class a lot of the way. But this is so much different than English class because we're teaching you how to relate to God through the Bible. That's what's different. So um, how many are, are seeking to get into the Discover the Story reading plan at all? Should I have heads down? Okay. All right. Teens, let me challenge you in that. You guys are fully capable of getting into that. You, you guys can read Dickens. You can read the Bible. Um, but again, you need the Spirit, right? And, and the goal is, like, this is your God. Just like we're trying to show you this is your church, this is your God, right? Um, and we, we just need to get to Him. We need to, we need to hear from Him. And so... That's there for you, too. Um, and uh, is there any questions that you had that you were like, I got to, I, I got to this portion of this Discover the Story reading plan, and I'm like, I just, my word, like, what did that mean? <laughs> Anything that you wrote down? If not, that's fine. I just want to make sure I give some time, and I didn't tell you really well that like we would do that ahead of time but just kind of count on that like if you have a question along the way first of all feel free to email it to me um, 
throughout the week, and I'd love to interact with you on that, or we can have a phone call, or you know, you can bring it here on Sunday morning, and we can talk through it, and maybe even apply some of the method that we're using to that question. Work on it together. Any questions from the Discover the Story? Yeah. So if you go into a, if you follow the email that I sent, it's in events. It's not in the same place as reading plans because version doesn't let you make your own reading plans, which is a major deficiency. And we all should write them and tell them that. So it's in there as events, and you can get it that way. Yeah, and, and the event should, I think, you can set the event to remind you. Um, you know, like it'll pop up as a notification, at least at the beginning of the week. Um, yeah, so it is in there, but you won't find them as a reading plan. Mm. Of, of us being set apart, uh, of his creating us special in his image, of his giving us dominion and responsibilities for his creation. Um, you know, that Psalm 8 passage mm -hmm. inside mm -hmm. head. Yeah. Like, why, God, do you think we're so special? Because he made us that way. Mm -hmm. he, he has a longing and a desire for us that that's outside of anything else that he has Absolutely. Except for puppies. <laughs> that's good. That's good. And that's the kind of thing, like, you know, we get to that point of application, and sometimes the application is like, praise God that he's mindful of us at all. Uh, you know, like, and we get to relate to God in that way. So I would challenge you. I would challenge you to make a personal challenge of yourself. If you don't have a, a, a daily habit of reading the Bible, start somewhere with this. Just read, you know. Um, read one one passage. I have a bolded passage on those uh, on those plans, and you can you can like grab hold of that one for the and read it every day for the week, and just get in, you know, practice the method over and over again. But uh, make a challenge of yourself. Um, okay, so um, today we want to talk about how paying attention to literary style can help our daily Bible reading as we observe, interpret, and apply the Scripture. So taking what we have there uh, and now applying literary style. So that's what, you know, teens, I said it's going to feel like English class, right? Um, so the big idea would be pay attention to literary style as you observe, interpret, and apply the Scriptures. So we're going to play a little game. Teens, you've seen this game before probably, but I think this is a new edition of it to you. Uh, we are going to play the game Jeremiah or Justin. Justin Bieber that is. Okay, so I need uh, I need a, uh, a line of teens up at the front. You can run it, yeah. Oh, then that'd be great. Where did it go? No, it's there, it's there, it's there. All right, so teenagers, I need you all because, and then I need a line of adults because you're playing opposite the teens. Okay, so a uh, line of adults out this way. I need like at least five probably. A line of adults out this way. Uh, on, so you, you'll come up to the Bible taboo buzzer. <laughs> All right, come on, adults, come on. Seriously, I made them get up, so do I have to make you get up? All right, Matt's getting up. <laughs> okay, so here's, here's the deal. If you get it right, you get a point. If you get it wrong, you lose a point, okay? So the first person to buzz in gets to answer. If you get it right, you get a point. If you get it wrong, you lose a point. What's that? Yeah, that's the order that you're going to go in, okay? So what I want you to do is put your hand on the table. Step up to the table just like Family Feud. Other hand behind just like Charlie. Have you ever seen Family Feud? Um, okay, so um, Jeremiah or Justin Bieber, okay? Are you ready? I'll read you the question. Don't look at the question. I'll read you the question, okay? That way it's, it's fair, okay? Are you ready? Here we go. 
Go ahead. First one. I never thought that I could walk through fire. Jeremiah or Justin Bieber? Jeremiah. Justin Bieber. Wrong. <laughs> From the song Never Say Never. Okay. Um, all right. Next one. Could it be I don't know what's good for me? Go ahead, next one. Justin Bieber from the song The Feeling. Okay, apparently we don't know Justin Bieber very well. It's just really good, but we also don't know Jeremiah very well. <laughs> All right, next question. Isn't that what it means to know me? The prophet Jeremiah, 2216. All right, here we go. We are not able to plan our own course. Let's see the answer. Jeremiah 10.23. Hands on the table. The moon and the stars reflect your light. Justin Bieber it is. <laughs> From the song All Around the World. All right, next up, Charlie and Natalie. Go. They are making up everything they say. Oh, Charlie was underneath there. Jeremiah 23.16. All right. Did you forget the plans you made with me? I'm sorry, that is Justin Bieber. That should be me. <laughs> Jeremiah said, for I know the plans I have for you. <laughs> Not did you forget the plans you made with me. Okay, uh, and it wasn't about going to the mall. It may be nice to live in a beautiful palace. Jeremiah 22:23. <laughs> Do we have any more? Let's spread rumors about him and ignore what he says. <laughs> Jeremiah eighteen eighteen. <laughs> it's true, it's true. I haven't even been keeping score, so <laughs> hopefully somebody else has. <laughs> Um, <laughs> all right, it's like an angel came by and took me to heaven. Justin Bieber, never let you go. And that's all we have for today. Have a seat. Thank you, everyone, to play. We'll give it to, I don't even know. It was just bad all around. Just kidding. All right. So here's the point. Here's the point. There is a certain style in which every person writes, right? And uh, that's how we can identify, you know, part different parts and different people. And, and there's a certain style. Even when you get into, like, the epistles, you can see the difference between the style of James and the style of Paul. You, you can see the difference even in the Psalms of different, you know, there's di just different styles of poetry and all those different things. And, and uh there's a certain literary style in which every person writes, and writers choose that style intentionally. You better believe that Justin Bieber chooses his style of the way that he writes songs, if he even writes a song, but you know, you get the point. It's doubtful. Um, but <laughs> chooses his style intentionally because he has an audience that he's trying to reach, right? And, uh, and the same is true of any human author. Uh, and so, like, why did Jeremiah write so dramatically? Let's think about, based on what you know about Jeremiah. Do you know, you know what's, what's, what do you know about Jeremiah? Who was Jeremiah? He was a, a prophet, right? Right? Yeah. And was there very many people listening to him? No. 
No. He, so he's got everybody against him. Nobody's listening to him. He's seeing all this destructive nature of sin. And he writes like that. <laughs> he writes right in the middle of his situation in a, in a certain style. Um, desperate times call for desperate words. And uh, so what would the original hearers or us think if Jeremiah did not write dr- so, so dramatically? Like there's this there's this terrible thing going on and Jeremiah is just like, yeah, you should you guys should turn from your sin. Yeah, and Natalie. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, sorry, I can't see your hand very well because I only can see you through Rob's head in the pole. So, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you 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 know just kind of be like, well. He's just indifferent. And so the style actually helps us to understand a little bit of the message. It's the vehicle that the message is coming at us in. So if you drive up in a, in a pickup truck, you're saying one thing about what you're intending to do. If you drive up in a, uh, what's that? A Camaro, you're saying another thing. Yeah, I, I was thinking like a Toyota Prius. Uh, you're saying another thing. So... Um, <laughs> So, God used the, the common styles and situations of the writers and their readers to inspire the scriptures down to the very word. Again, we, we, what we believe about the Bible drives the method that we use to read the Bible and study the Bible. Okay, And so God could have just given us a list of bullet point things that we should do and should not do. He could have given us a list of facts to memorize, and that would be the Bible. He could have given a list of things that we need to know as Christians. He could have given us a doctrinal statement, a systematic theology, and said, here you go, this is everything you need to know, now just go. Go do it. But that's not what God chose to do. Did you ever think about that? Like, like he could have given us something else, but he didn't. He gave us this. And so, why is it important... why is it important that we pay attention to, spy, to style? Like, is this just for English geeks like me? Like, I'm an English geek and, and really smart people. Like, is that just for them? No. Yeah, Natalie says, yeah. The reason we learn things like English in school for us as believers is so that we can Yeah, she just went all geek on us, <laughs> which is good. We can relate to each other. <laughs> it's very frustrating for those of us that didn't get English. Uh-huh, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, you turn the page and you're like, boom, and it's like, what is this? Yeah. Right? So, um, the other side of that is it's amazing to me that God and his creativity was able through the Holy Spirit to use the men that laid the words out in a way that just showed his creative desires. Yeah. Um, but I will be admit that I can't just turn the page to prophecy or to the page to poetry and turn the page to a historical book and automatically know that that's what it is. Yeah. Right? Right. So, huh? <laughs> that's right, that's why I married my <laughs> It, it can, yeah, yeah. Let's acknowledge that, right? It can be frustrating for those of us who do like it, and are you know are energized by that. Um, but I think what you're getting at there is that this is God's creativity on display, and this is how He chose to compose the Bible. He composed it with beauty and crafted it with, in order to reveal Himself, and because we love Him we're going to spend the time listening to him the way that he chose to reveal himself. Like Again, this comes back to the relationship that we have with him. And, and so it's not so much about like learn style because 
us English geeks are going to force you into that mold, and you're not going to you're not going to know it otherwise. And you're just you know like you should feel stupid if you don't understand it or whatever it is. No, no, no. Like just learn to appreciate just just appreciate the fact that God revealed Himself creatively. And he decided to reveal himself in a certain way, and therefore we need to listen in a certain way. Different means of communication require different forms of listening. Yep. And that's not to say that if you don't get prophecy, you shouldn't read prophecy. I'll just get it from the Psalms. That's not to say that. But it is to say, you know, God, God has, has come at this from multiple angles, and it's really the same basic principles being told over and over and over and over again. So I, I often tell the story, like, when I first got to know Matt Johnson, uh, he would talk to me in a military acronyms and all that kind of stuff and and, uh, and and you know I didn't know very much about the military and I would ask questions and and um, and you know like I just learned about the military and I did that not because I really wanted to know a lot about the military I wasn't going to go into the military I didn't need those acronyms I did that because I love Matt and that's what Matt loves you know and I could tell that's what Matt loves and so learned the acronyms and now I can have a pretty good conversation about the military <laughs> um, Three letters <laughs> in, in all acronyms. <laughs> now we're moving our relationship to emojis, and it's... <laughs> that's a common... Well, I don't know why that's a common topic of discussion in our GC. Anyway, um, but, uh, you know, we, we learn the language of the person who's speaking to us because we love them. And, and so I liked what uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart said. By the way, if... If you wanted a companion to this class and you wanted to read a little bit about it, um, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart is going to be a little, is kind of what I'll be using to prep. Um, so if you wanted to pick that up on Amazon or something, by no means is it required, but uh, you know, if, it, if you're like, I just need that in a different form because Pastor Ben, I don't understand the words that are coming out of his mouth. Um, there you go. Another form. How to read the Bible for all it's worth. Fee and Stewart are the authors. And they said this, uh, Precisely because God chose to speak in the context of real human history, we may take courage that these same words will speak again and again and again in our own real history as they have throughout the history of the church. I like that. Precisely because God chose to speak in the context of real human history, we may take courage that these same words will speak again and again in our own real history, as they have throughout the history of the church. At the, you know, kind of back to what Matt was saying, that the Bible keeps coming up over and over and over again, and, and it keeps being relevant. It keeps, it's still living and active. And so if every word matters, and it does, then part of understanding the Bible is understanding the relationship between words, which is style. It's simply the relationship between the words. What's on the page? That's style. So we're going to look at two videos, actually, from the Bible Project. By the way, I like the Bible Project. There are some things about them that I'm kind of like, eh, but so I'm still not like wholeheartedly endorsing them, but I do like these videos, and so we're going to watch these videos, okay?
If you are listening online, we cannot play the next portion of the class because it is copyright resources on YouTube. However, feel free to search on YouTube for The Bible Project and their video, Introduction to Literary Styles, as well as their video on the Bible as Jewish Meditation Literature. Now back to the class where we picked up. So, I want you to get into your small group discuss uh, your small groups there, and I, I want you to discuss the uh, small group discussion questions that are there. There's three of them that are there. What are the three major types of literary styles in the Bible? What is different about these three different styles from each other? And why why is each one valuable? How are they similar and different? So really, there's like six questions because that's what I do. I ask, Charlie knows this, I ask one question, but I'm really asking four. <laughs> so, um, so get into your small groups and discuss the questions as they go. All right, let's pull it back. I don't know if that was two minutes or not. but All right, so the three major types of literary style in the Bible that were addressed in the video are narrative, which is, give me another word for narrative. Telling a story, right? Um, what's, that, what's next? Poetry. poetry. I don't need another word for poetry. We know what that is. Uh, and then uh, discourse. Give me another word for discourse. Persuasion by logic. Yeah, some sort of persuasion by logic. Yeah, conversation would be another good way to... Yeah, discourse is like a back and forth. That's good. All right, so what is different between, uh, let's, let's look at it this way, like um, between poetry and discourse? It's more, it's, it's more colorful in its language, right? So uh, let's, let's actually look at uh, an example here. Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, uh, 2, 8 to 17. It just depends on what translation you use. Song of Solomon. Did I get that right? I'm sorry, did I say 2, 18? I meant 2, 8 to 17. I don't know why I said 2, 18. Hmm. Monica, would you uh, would you read this? I need the voice of a woman who's not going to be embarrassed by it. So, can you read it? Eight through seventeen. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. I think Alden should act this out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> can we read it first, and then I'll act later? <laughs> Go ahead. Bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the tongue dog is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its face, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the cleft of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is joyful. Catch the box of the little box of spoiled vineyard, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies, until the day of dreams and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a girl or a young child. Okay. So, what do you notice about that? Just beyond meeting, what do you notice about that? I wonder if I ever came home talking like that to Monica, she'd wonder what happened. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it, I mean, this is not how we normally talk, right? This is something that's different. Yeah, my, uh, Natalie. Every sentence is imagery, yeah, yeah. Very colorful. And that's the way, like, the whole book is. It's just gushing. <laughs> it's just gushing. Right, and so what would be different if this Song of Solomon, this love book between uh, a husband and wife, two lovers, what would happen if that were in discourse? What's that? Not much. <laughs> Not much between them, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be like, you know, it's like me saying to Katie, well, I told you I loved you when I first met you. <laughs> you know? Like, just stating the facts. Well, here's how I love you. I did the dishes for you. <laughs> like, like, it's actually saying something in the way that it's written to us. It's saying something to us about the nature of the love between, the, between two spouses in, in addition to what it's saying on the page because it's poetry. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, if that's what we're expecting from it, if we're expecting this, you know, if liter a literal reading of this is that she actually loves a stag that's standing on a rock, <laughs> she's pretty weird. <laughs> But a literal reading of this is, is uh, it, it still includes all of those figurative language and recognizing that and, yeah. And you can think about this, like, like what if Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, that tells us to put off the old man and put on the new man, what if that was written in narrative form? I mean, you, you would have some element of what it's saying, but it wouldn't be as, like, cut and dry and precise and, you know, like, just clear like, like and that's that's one of the beauties of discourse is that it gives it to us straight it cuts it cuts straight and sometimes it's not so straight or not as straight as we'd like it to be uh, but it you know it, it really just cuts at us um, you know what if acts 5 1 to 6 where Ananias and Sapphira are are um, you know dropping dead because they lied about uh, you know the the offering that they were going to give you know, what if that was just given as like, you know, if you lie about your offering, you're going to die. <laughs> you know, like that, like, and just straight up like discourse or in poetry, you know, like it would just totally be different and, and it would actually affect the meaning of what's given to us. But God chose to reveal himself to us in these different ways. Yeah. 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 And we might choose different ways of expressing that. Like, we wouldn't always call each other a stag, but, you know, like, but we can relate to that welling up. We can tell that they're welling up, even when the language is so much different and unrelatable. Alden, you're such a stag. Um, <laughs> so um, let's talk about uh, let's talk a little bit about a, a certain literary style that is intimidating to all of us and that you're going to encounter this week if you're doing the discover the, the story reading plan and that is genealogies okay this is this is a unique style that um, that we don't use anymore, right? We don't care about it anymore, um, especially with the breakdown of family and everything else. And it seems really foreign to us. And I think there are uh, two temptations when it comes to reading the genealogies. Uh, one is skip them, just skip it. The second one is sleep and then skip it. Those are the two temptations. And I, I'm not suggesting that you do either one of them, but that's like what we want to do when we come to the genealogies. And um, so maybe just turn to Genesis 5 for an example. That way we can just kind of look at little 
little features here. Um, and and we, this is kind of what's going to take up the, the rest of this class, uh, not just the rest of today, but the rest of the, the weeks, is looking at a particular style through the lens of observation, interpretation, and application, through the three lenses of them, us, or them, Jesus, and us. And so we're just going to do a very brief version of this right now and take a look at this very unique uh, literary style, uh, which, I don't, what would you classify this as? I, I had a hard time thinking about this. Like, is this, it's not poetry. Um, it's sort of narrative. It's sort of discourse, but you know, it's kind of a, in a class of its own in some ways, right? It's a story. Yeah, I would probably put it in historical narrative. It's a part of historical narrative. Um, so Genesis five. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll, I'll just point you to a couple things because if hopefully you're going to read this in the Discover the Story plan this week. Um, but when we're looking talking about observation, uh, what are we looking at? We're we're talking about those five questions: who, what, where, when. And then the, not why yet, because we're getting to why and interpretation. Why is all about interpretation, but words. Uh, what are the words that are used? Um, and so how does this fit into the author's purpose for writing? Um, how does this genealogy fit into the author's purpose for writing? So a couple questions that we can ask when we're approaching genealogies. Um, where did he place the genealogy, and why is that placement important? So Rob was actually just talking about this in, in the Table of Nations when he's talking about the genealogy right after the flood. And then and it says that, that um, here is the, the people and their languages. And he's like, well, wait a minute. The languages didn't, show, didn't get dispersed until the next chapter. Is it 11? The Table of Nations, the Babel that happens? Yeah. The languages happen, the dispersion of the languages happened after the Tower of Babel, but here it's talking about their different languages before. And so we, we can assume, well, maybe the author made a mistake, or we could assume maybe he has a purpose. And let's assume that he has a purpose, okay? Um, so where did he place the genealogy, and why is that placement important? Uh, what relationships are being built between people? Uh, so sometimes it's helping the story move along. We see that a lot in Genesis, actually. You know, we kind of we kind of get these genealogies that move us pretty far in the history um, to a certain specific point where the author wants us to stop. What words and phrases are repeated and what causes a break in the repetition? So I want you to see this. Um, just, we'll just jump into the middle of this genealogy in, in uh, verse 12. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel, Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. And thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Let's stop there. So did you hear the repetition? What was repeated? And he died. Is that what you're going to say, Natalie? What else are you going to say? Yeah, <laughs> that's all there is to life. Let me tell you, teens, that's all there is to life. You're born, you have kids, you die. <laughs> just, just kidding. Just kidding. But that is, the, that is the futility that the author wants us to see in this genealogy. Remember, this is coming right out of Genesis 3, where, where the fall of mankind, right? And then it's coming out of Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel, right? And then we get to Genesis 5, and we just see this repeated pattern, death because of sin, death because of sin, death, 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 death. But then, what's the interruption? Enoch, right? Because what doesn't it say? And he died. It doesn't say, and he died. What does it say instead? He walked with God, and he was not. Right? 
And so this, this break in the repetition is something that even if you get nothing else out of the genealogy, don't hone in on that break. Okay, like just laser focus on that break in the repetition. Um, another thing that you can do is compare genealogies with one another. And I'm not saying that you need to do all of this all the time. Like, you know, you, you get a genealogy in your half an hour reading and I'm, you know, now I'm giving you like a million... Now, I'm just giving you some tools, okay? Remember, this, is, this class is about tools to put in your toolbox to try as, as, you, as you read the story on your own, okay? Um, so, compare genealogies with one another. How are they different or similar? So, like, you got the genealogies of, Math, uh, of Jesus in Matthew and Luke, and they're actually quite different. Why? Don't assume that there's a, there's a problem. Assume that there is a reason, okay? What clues... Mm. And then um, Lemech lived a total of 775 years, mm. but like that's seven kind of okay. yeah, yeah. numbers. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some, there's some number of things happening there. Even if you look at like how many total, I don't know that for sure, but like you look at how many total and what number, where, what's the half point of the genealogy because fathered can mean is like he fathered the generation beyond, you know, so it like it'd be grandfather or great grandfather. So there might be some gaps in that in that genealogy a little bit. Um, so you're asking these questions, you're observing these things, you're you know you're noticing things. Um, so then you're going to move on to interpretation, and you're you're asking you know what is the author talking about? Why does he say, what does he say about the subject, and why does he say it? Um, so. I always find it interesting. Some people are named in the Bible, and some are not. Like you think about all the thousands of people, and all, even in this, these lineages, you know, all the people in these families that aren't named, but some are, and why? And, and then some have stories that are told. Enoch has this, a bit of a story here beyond just fathering his kids. He walked with God. And, and some are told in the genealogy, some are told outside of the genealogy. Why does their inclusion matter? Those are the, those are the questions that you're beginning to ask now in interpretation. And sometimes it's just because that's who fathered the other person, and that's we've got to get to that next person. Um, from Genesis uh, 3.15 onward then, we're thinking about, okay, so how does this relate to Christ? Interpreting through that second lens of Jesus. From Genesis 3.15 onward, we're looking for an offspring who's going to crush the head of a serpent, right? We're looking for an offspring. And so notice how many offspring don't succeed in that goal. And notice how the individual relationships eventually point us to Christ. Get to know the genealogies in Matthew 1 and Luke 2 and compare those genealogies to what you see. Like, Get to know the genealogies of Jesus and go back and see some of the relationships between what we see in the, um, in the Old Testament genealogies, okay? So that's interpretation. How does it point us to Christ? Ultimately, he's the offspring coming to crush the head of the serpent. He's the king in the line of David. So then how are we going to apply these things? <laughs> okay, that's the hardest part, right? Like, okay, I can get the observation, I can get the interpretation. How do we get to the application? Go through the lenses of observation and interpretation. Don't try to apply it without those things. So, so consider, go back to what was the author's purpose for the genealogy. How does it relate to Christ? That affects your salvation. If this genealogy didn't occur, your salvation is nothing. Rejoice in that. Um, praise God for using fallible people to bring about an infallible plan. Take, that's a way to apply a genealogy. Just look at each of these names and know they died, and they died, and they were imperfect, and they died. And Praise you, God, because you take people that are messed up, and you, through their line, you bring about Jesus to bring about an infallible plan. Consider God's concern for the names of obscure individuals with stories we care nothing about. He did put their name in there. <laughs> That's incredible. Like, we care nothing about Mahalalel, but God knew his name. 
Consider God's ability to work through us in ways that are beyond the span of our lives. So, uh, let me think. Jared's only contribution to history of the mankind is that he fathered Enoch. <laughs> That's the only contribution. But, but God is using his plan and his story in Jared, you know, Jared is a part of a greater story than just Jared. Does that make sense? So all of these are different ways that we're, we're able to praise God and apply and see, see who we are in light of God's story through something as obscure as a genealogy. And I hope that, that you can read that this week and spend a little time in it and spend, you know, a half an hour, whatever it is, and, and see some things. But ultimately, we're going back again and we're saying, God, help me see some things, right? Help me see some things because I'm not going to see anything. I'm not going to care about any, any of this unless I care about you, God. Unless I love you and I love the fact that you revealed these genealogies here. Other, other than that, I could care less about a genealogy. But God loves the genealogy and therefore I care. So, as you're reading Genesis 3 to 11 this week, make a note of how many, I want you to make a note of how many different literary styles you see and how they differ from one another. Just kind of make a mental note of that. It doesn't even have to be like a, I don't want to turn paper or anything like that. Just, and, and then ask, why did we just change literary style? Why did we get into a genealogy here? Why did we break and have some poetry? Um, you know, why? Okay? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Uh, I thank you for the richness of your word and how beautiful it is, how exciting it is, how, um, how hard it is, Lord, that you, that you would actually make it challenging for us so that we would spend time there and relate to you in that. And um, Lord, help us to see. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the, the wonderful things that you have told. Help us to delight in the rich treasures of your word. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.